Thank you, Pastor. Uh, thank you all. You know, Pastor talked about rebuilding the church and um, his, you know, looking back to our humble beginnings and seeing just a handful of people. And of course, you know, we always, we always want the church to thrive. We always want people, you know, but I'm so thankful for the people that are here, the few people that, the faithful people that come every week and the faithful people that give every week and, you know, a pastor that's faithful and people that work behind the scenes and serve that are faithful. It's so important. And it's, uh, to me, it's a, a perfect place to start from, I think, for rebuilding. And it'd be nice to see some youth and some kids. And um, maybe, you know, Justin's going to be coming on board. Hopefully he'll help with that. But uh, Pastor preach is preaching this morning out of Lamentations, right? And it was kind of apropos for me because with us leaving on Tuesday, it's like, yeah, I, I do a little bit of weeping myself. Um, uh, you know, it's a, I know, like he said, it's a funeral dirge. And I feel like, well, okay, maybe we're not, maybe it's not quite a funeral for us, but in some ways, it, you know, it, it almost feels like that, like like a, a passing or you know, whatever. But but I just thank you all for coming and for being here every week and being faithful. And uh, we're going to continue with our, our look at uh, Journey into Kingdom Living. And this week we're going to be in Lesson 6. And it's uh, Practice Kingdom, kingdom Living. And the text verses are from Luke 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. So, you know, this is, this whole series that we've been doing has been a look at parables. And, and again, and I know I say it every week, a parable is a, it's a method that Jesus used to teach to a populace of people that was largely uneducated. And so it was a way that he could um, bring these spiritual messages down to something that they could understand. And so um, we see that in the parables. And so this isn't any different today. We're going to look at probably one of the most famous parables of the Good Samaritan. And uh, many of you are familiar with it. In this parable, Jesus reveals the basic and most important component of kingdom living. And it ties in because it ties in with, we're going to see the, you know, um, the verse they're saying here from uh, uh, Deuteronomy, but, you know, also it's from Matthew. And so it's what we know as the Great Commission, Matthew, Matthew 22. So we're, we're going to look at that. But we don't know the, the context of the parable. It is probably a teaching situation. And I think really, uh, again, going back to, you know, uh, teaching the unlearned people spiritual things in a way that they can understand. I think all the, all the parables are a teaching situation at some level. And so certainly this isn't any different. But um, so we have a lawyer that stood up, and the Jewish lawyer is an expert on the law of Moses. This well-educated expert wants to discredit Jesus by asking him a question, intending to trap Jesus. What does he ask? And so we see that in uh, Luke 10, 25b, says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, again, he's an expert on the law, right? So in his mind, we have to believe he believes he has the answer. And he's trying to trap Jesus. He thinks 
you know, he's all-knowing about these, these things because that's how he's treated and that's how these Pharisees, these, these lawyers, they, um, they were. They were experts on the law and they were off, often um, sought out for their advice. And so, of course, you're not going to know more than Jesus, right? You're not going to have answers that he doesn't have. That's for sure. And I think he's going to find that out. So um, it's an excellent question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, our Lord throws the question right back at the lawyer by asking, what is written in the law? How readest thou? So basically what he's saying is, you know, you're the expert, you tell me. You're asking me how do I, how do I get eternal life? You're um, an expert on the law, you tell me. Well, what's the answer? And so and I, think, I think the lawyer, the Pharisee, I think he's waiting for, he wants to tell, tell him, right? He wants to have the answer. And I believe at some, in some part of him, he believes he has all the answers. So quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, the lawyer answers that you must love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then from Leviticus 19.18, he adds, and thy neighbor as thyself. And so we see that in Matthew 22, right? Uh, uh, 30, 22, 37, and 38. And that's what we know in the New Testament church as the great commission, right? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And that's the greatest commandment in the law. The second's like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And so that's why I believe, I believe that that's why they're identifying this as probably the most important parable that Jesus taught. Because in the New Testament, it says this is the great commission. It even says if you, you know, all my, all the, my law hinges on this, right? Or I'm paraphrasing, but my mind's mixed up a little bit. Basically, what it means in Tim Butler verbiage is if you read your entire, entire Bible and you only get one thing, this is the thing I want you to get. And so, so by that, then of course this is the most important parable because he's teaching these people this very important thing. And so it's a brilliant answer because it sums up everything the Old Testament teaches. However, this expert in the law doesn't understand or practice his answer. Our Lord accepts the lawyer's answer by saying, thou has answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And we see that in, in um, in Luke 10, 28. In other words, biblical knowledge is not enough. We must practice it too. And we see that message throughout the entire Bible, right? If you, you try to sum things up for a two-year-old or like a second grader, basically you'd say, you know, I know this is a hymn book, but here's the word of God, read it, know it, and live by it. And, and that's it. That's the, basically, that's the message in a nutshell. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, thou hast answered right. So he said, this do and thou shalt live. And everyone knew that the Jews didn't love everyone. Therefore, trying to justify himself, what does the lawyer ask in 1029? He says, who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? And like, so that's the question, right? Think about this. So if we had to answer that in one word, what would it be? Mark? Right, everyone. Who is my neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor. And so that's a very important part of this 
part of this lesson. So to answer the question, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. In this parable, Jesus reveals what is required to practice kingdom living. So in, in Luke 10, 30 to 32, we see that this parable has four main characters who are all travelers. Jesus describes the first by saying, a man is traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. What happens? He fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So, so they mugged this guy, right? They left him, left him to die in the gutter, basically, or inside of the road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles long, descending over 3,000 feet. It was very dangerous because it curved through rocky, desolate terrain, giving robbers perfect hiding place. The victim of this robbery would surely die if no one helped him, which brings us to the second character. Jesus continues, and, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. So I think it's interesting, and we'll look at these, these people that come, right? The first one's a priest. So in our, if we had to equate this like to modern day, we would say maybe a pastor, right? Or, or someone who preaches the word of God, a priest. So the priest, because they're showing you like, if anybody's going to help this guy, shouldn't it be a man of God? If he doesn't care to help him, right? So they're, I think they're bringing you to the, the most expectation first. Oh, a priest is coming. This guy's going to help him. So many of them lived in Jericho. There were two requirements for bringing a priest. A man had to be from the tribe of Levite, because we know, of course, the Levitical people, Levitical, Levitical people were the priesthood. They were the priests. And, and and of the line of Aaron, so the first high priest. So again, it kind of shows their prominence in the church. It appears the priest was also traveling from Jerusalem where he probably had been offering sacrifices in the temple. So, you know, they, did, they, they worked on like a rotating basis, right? They would each do whatever, a couple weeks, a month, I'm not sure how it was. They would take turns doing these duties in the temple. And so I guess it was his turn. He's coming home. He's walking down, down the road. He probably had been offering sacrifices in the temple. Today, he would be like a church staff member going home from a worship service. What does Jesus say about this priest? Luke 10, 31b. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He may have thought, I'm a priest. I'm not a nurse or a paramedic. Or maybe I have to get home to do my, do my quiet time. Whatever his twisted logic, he leaves the man to die. It, it's almost like he thinks, I'm too good to stop and help this man. I'm a priest. I can't be expected to help him. I've got more important things to do. You know, there, <clears throat> there's a correlation. This is just in my mind, right? It's not part of the lesson, but there's a correlation to ministry today. Right? We have, if, we're, if we're humble, if we love our neighbor as ourselves as we're commanded to do, that's the second greatest commandment, right? Then shouldn't we do whatever we could do to help? We see something that needs to be done. We don't, or do we have that spirit where we say, well, that's not, that's so-and-so's job. That's not my job, right? Because that's, that presents a weakness. It could present a weakness in ministry and a weakness in the church. If we all truly do love each other, you know, love our neighbor as ourselves, 
then we won't have that spirit. We won't have that attitude. We'll have an attitude to serve. We'll have an, have an attitude to help. It's, it's kind of ironic because it's not ironic. I know God ordains it, but this goes along with the message that I'm going to do tonight. Pastor asked me to try to present a message tonight, and so that's not always easy for me because I struggle to try to organize. I don't do well with organization, and so um, this topic I picked is on love, and it's on the love of God. It's agape love, and so it's interesting that this morning in this lesson we're seeing some of the same principles, right? And, and so that's important, and I think this priest has that attitude. He has that attitude like, that's not my job. I'm not going to, somebody else will have to, and if they don't, whatever, it's just I'm not going to worry about it. So he crosses the road, and he goes on the way, whatever. They don't say why or what his mindset was. We can only speculate that. Jesus said the third traveler, now also a Levite, but he's a lay person in the temple, right? So he's, he's of the tribe of Levi, but he's not a direct descendant of Aaron, so he's not in that priest, you know, that priesthood line. But so he the, he was assigned to assist the priest. These these other Levites were assigned to assist the priest as well as care for and maintain the temple. Today they would be deacons, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, musicians, custodians, or anyone who serves in the church but is not a pastor. So so again, here's that order, right? The first guy that comes is the priest. Now we have would be in our modern time a servant in the church, a deacon, or you know pretty much anybody that just serves in the church but does not act in the capacity of pastor. So we're moving like to the next important person kind of. So in the end, we're going to see well who's left to help this guy, right? So what does Jesus say about this Levite? And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, the injured man, and passed by on the other side. So he did the same thing. So the priest and the Levite certainly didn't look at themselves as bad people. And you know, they really weren't bad people. They, they believed that they were righteous. They believed they were doing the right thing, generally. So they had full schedules. They were busy. Both knew the law of Moses, However, knowing what the Bible says is not the most important thing. It's doing it, right? Um, you know, it goes back to the, the devil knows, right? The devil knows what the Bible says, but it doesn't help him. And so it doesn't help us if we know what the Bible says, but we don't try to practice it. Of course, we're all going to fail, Right? We're all we're all gonna not gonna come up we're all gonna come up short in some respects, but it's that the journey more than it is I think the destination. It's you know trying to live it, and so that's important. So um, they had fought, so it's doing it. So the Apostle John asks a rhetorical question about a person who has this world's good and sees his brother or sister in need. What does he ask? 1 John 3, 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Right? So, again, it goes back to loving your brother as yourself. Right? Loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and the Bible even says, 
this is how I know you're my disciple. You have love for one another. So there's this, this precept of if how can these priests, these Levites, pass this man up and not even want to help him or anything? What does that say about him on a deeper spiritual level? And so Jesus is, I think, revealing that. So, of course, in this parable, as a pastor, I am guilty as anyone of thinking I am too busy to practice kingdom living. I still sometimes get upset when someone interrupts my morning Bible study time. All right. This is 15 months I've been here, and I've been in, in the outer office. I've been in close proximity to pastor. This hit a chord when I read this, because this is like me and him, sort of. To, like, people interrupt all the time. And in, in me, being spiritually less mature... And in my flesh, I think to myself, how does he do it? How does he put up with these things, these interruptions, these constant? And you know what? It doesn't phase him in the bit. And then when I read this, it hit me, and I understand why now. I think I'm beginning to understand why, right? So, it's, so he says, when someone interrupts my Bible time, my Bible or study times, many times I have to remind myself of what I once heard at a pastor's conference that changed my attitude about interruptions. I used to get upset, me, every time, and, and it wasn't even me being interrupted. I get upset watching him being interrupted. I used to get upset about interruptions to my work, and I realized interruptions are my work, right? And you know what? That just like, it was like somebody hit me on the head with a hammer. Now I try to leave room in my schedule for those kingdom living interruptions evaluate your schedule to see if it's too full for kingdom living so i observe that with pastor like these these constant interruptions somebody will walk in and sit in the chair for three hours and just the world stops here i am i need complete and utter attention for now until i decide to get up and leave you have no say in the matter you had something else planned for the day but this is what you're doing now because here i am and i can't be denied and to me it's like i want to you know, I get fleshly, and I, I think of things that I shouldn't, and I'm like, this is not right. But in pastor's mind, that's what he's there. He feels like this is what I'm here for. I'm here to help these people. I'm here to minister. And what I was doing before is second. It's less significant. You know it's true. He's humble. He's never going to say that's right. But it is right. I observed it. And so that's, and again, that ties in with the message tonight, right? Love. It's love. It's it's. Agape love, and I'm not going to, I could go down that road, but I'm not going to, that's for tonight, but they tie, they just tie in so, so clearly. And so, you know, he's, he's, he has room in his schedule, whether he actually leaves room or he just makes room when it appears, appears because that's what he has to do. But you know what? That's his ministry. It's helping these people that, listen, there's people that will walk into the room and suck all the oxygen out of it and complain they can't breathe. And we have two choices. We can get upset and we can get frustrated or we can love them the way God wants us to love them. You know what? I fail probably almost every single time at that. I'm human. I'm and I'm not a pastor, so I guess I can get away with failing. Not really, though, because that's not just a requisition for requirement for pastoral leadership it's a requirement for christianity for disciple to be a disciple of christ 
So if this shines light on me, like I need to do a lot of work, I need to work on this because this is something that I fail at greatly because I get in my flesh and I get frustrated and I think like, you know, how can you not realize I had a day planned when you showed up for three hours or called or, you know, people come in, well, bop, bop, bop. It's like, oh, and I'm good. How are you? Like, you know, like it's all about you. But, but again, you know, just the fleshly Tim, that's not right. It's not right. So pastor's laughing. Why do you think he's laughing? Because he never heard it before and he, th- he doesn't know what I'm talking about? No, he's laughing because he, he knows. He knows me and he knows whatever. Anyway, so, okay. So evaluate your schedule to see if it's too full for kingdom living. Then emulate Jesus, right? Emulate Jesus. It goes back to the Bible. Here, here's my law. Read it, know it, and do it, right? Do it. Emulate Jesus. Do it. Try, try to do it. We're never going to be able to. Jesus says a fourth traveler, a certain Samaritan, comes along and sees the injured man. Samaritans were descendants of the ten northern tribes of Israel who intermarried with Gentiles Gentiles during the Assyrian captivity. They lived in Samaria between Galilee and Judah, right? And Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Like, Like if you watch Star Trek, like Samaritans were the Klingons. Right, they didn't. They were they were less. They were dirty, I guess, if you want to say that. They intermarried, like between the tribes. They weren't. They didn't have the level of purity that these these Levites thought they had, and so they were looked down upon. And and we, you know, we can make a correlation to society today on that front too, right? Um, who who are we gonna help? Who are you gonna help? If, if you come along and you see pastor hurting the side of the road, are you going to help him? Probably. What if you see some homeless dude who's dirty and smelly and, you know, laying with, in the gutter, like, going to help him? Well, because think about this. Think about this, this the parable of the Good Samaritan, because there's a, there's a huge message here. So Samaritans would say, okay, so um, They lived in Samaria between Galilee and Judea. Jews who saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham considered Samaritans to be mixed ancestry traitors. Jews despised and even hated the Samaritans. The animosity was so great that they would walk miles out of their way to avoid going through Samaria when traveling between Galilee and Judea. However, unlike the pillars of the Jewish religion, right, unlike these great men of God, supposedly, what does a Samaritan do? A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, right? Love thy neighbor as thyself, as thyself. Try to think about that. Like, love thy neighbor? Yeah, I could love thy neighbor. All right, well, love thy neighbor as thyself. So he had compassion on him. The word compassion means sympathy for the suffering or hurting of others. It also includes having a desire to help. Therefore, the despised Samaritan goes over to the man. He disinfects his wounds with wine, soothes them with olive oil, and bandages them. Now, it's important to note in my mind, again, this isn't in the lesson too, but I thought of this when I read it, these things are costing him. And we're going to see that he, he brings 
further cost on himself, but wine isn't free, oil isn't free, right? He's not only helping this guy, he's helping this guy at a sacrifice to himself. And so that, I think that's an important distinction. So then he puts the helpless man in his SUV, right, his donkey, and he takes him to the nearest motel. The next day he gives two pounds, two days' wages, to the innkeeper. What does the Samaritan then tell the innkeeper? 1035. Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest, when I come again, I will repay thee. So he's assuming the financial burden for this guy's care. He's saying, take care of him, and I'll pay you whatever I owe you when I come back. So, it, so it's not just like he stopped and helped them because he had five minutes. He's, there's a big sacrifice. This guy's making a sacrifice to, to help this individual. What was the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan? One word, compassion. Compassion makes us more like Jesus, right? Love thy neighbor as thyself. So that, there's the difference. This week you will pass by some beaten, wounded people. Some will be beaten and wounded because of their finances. Some because of relationship problems. Others because of health problems, etc. Will you be too busy to emulate Jesus and show compassion by binding up their wounds with a compassionate ear and healing words? To practice kingdom living, evaluate your schedule. Emulate Jesus and, and evaluate your schedule goes back to that interruptions, people interrupting, right? This Samaritan, when he was going down this road, he probably was on his way somewhere. He probably had something to do. He probably wasn't just wandering, right? Doesn't tell us that, but it's reasonable to assume that he had a purpose and where he was going. But he took the time to put that aside and to minister to the physical needs of this, this gentleman. After telling the parable, Jesus reverses the lawyer's question about who his neighbor is. He asks this expert in Mosaic law, which of the three who saw the beaten, helpless, helpless man was a neighbor? So he's saying, which of these three men who saw this beaten man is the neighbor? This forces the expert in law to answer his own question. He can't bring himself to say the Samaritan, although he probably knew it, right? Therefore, what does he say? And he said, he that showeth mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do you likewise. But he can't even utter the word Samaritan. They had such a hate for the Samaritans. Like, well, who did the best, who is the best one in this situation? Who did the right thing? It was like, well, this is Right? Like, you know, how, what was that happy days when Fonzie said he was wrong? Well, I was, he couldn't say I was wrong. It's the same thing. He can't say the Samaritan did the right thing. He says, well, it was, you know, it was that guy that had mercy on him. You know, of course, Jesus is merciful. He doesn't press him, right? The fleshly knucklehead Tim Butler, I probably said, who was it? Uh, the guy that helped him. What was he, what was his, who was he called? Who, where was he from? Who was he? I, you're not leaving until you say the Samaritan. But he didn't do that. He let him go. Mercy is the meaning of this parable. Therefore, we must know what the word mercy means in this context. The word translated mercy, ilios, 
if I'm pronouncing that right, means the manifestation of compassion. Compassion is the emotion. Mercy is the action taken because of the emotion. Mercy is compassionate love in action. Finally, Jesus tells the expert in the law, go and do likewise. This command applies to all who follow Jesus, right? Back to this, this how they know you're my disciple, you have love for one another. So it's a, it's a command. It's not a, you know, the great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. The second what? The great what? Commandment. These are commandments. They're not suggestions. So this is something that we are obligated to do if, we're, if we truly claim the name of Christian. And it's, it's, it's not always easy. It's, a lot of times it's never easy. It's not never easy. Sometimes it's easy. You know, it's easy to love the people we love, but... It's not easy to love the people we don't love. I think that's going to make it into tonight's message too. Finally, Jesus tells the expert in law, go and do likewise. So, okay, so this command. We can cultivate mercy and practice kingdom living, which is love in action. Why? According to Romans 5, 5b. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. To cultivate, to cultivate mercy, never grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians, Ephesians 4.30, by passing by on the other side of the road and ignoring a legitimate human need. Right? That, that's, that's important too. Like they talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, right? Because did, they, did those priests miss a chance to witness to that guy? We see that, right? People have negative connotations of who we are and what we do. It should be by our actions more than our words. If, if this guy is a great man of God, he's a priest, but he ignored me, walked on the other side of the road and left me here to die, what's that say about the church? What's that say about him, right? And in today's day and age, what would that say about us? And we are grieving the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit could use us or whoever it is in that situation to open that people that person's eyes to the truth and so we miss that and we we're squelching that holy spirit inside and, and that that's a real thing so we got to be careful of that so um, every time you respond to legitimate human needs you cultivate mercy and again that reflects that shows right so <clears throat> Jesus gives us the greatest possible motivation for showing mercy. What does he say in Matthew 5, 7? Personalize it below, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Right? Blessed are the merciful, so they, they shall obtain mercy. So if we show mercy, if we have mercy, we'll get mercy. God will be merciful to us if we are merciful to others. Mercy is a big part of it. And, and, and you know, whenever we think, we think of mercy, well, I don't know, I can't say what we think. Whenever I think of mercy, I always think of, well, God is merciful. God, and God is merciful. 
But every time I think of mercy, I always think of that as an attribute to God. But you know what? It needs to be an attribute for us too, for me too. Mercy isn't only God's to have and to give. We should all have mercy. But if I'm honest, like, I don't know if I ever really saw it that way. And so as I read this and try to understand it, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, mercy isn't just on the part of God. Mercy is, we, we, have, we should have mercy on one another, right? We should have mercy on each other. Um, you know, do we forgive people when they do wrong to us? Do we overlook things? Again, you know, I've been sitting next to Pastor Shop for 15 months, so I'm starting to learn some of these things that I never knew before. There's been some, um, there's been some epiphanies, I guess, for me in the past year and a half. But, but I think this is important. I think it's one of them. So, uh, Do you think you will need a lot of mercy at the judgment seat of Christ? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, we're never going to meet that standard. Without mercy at the judgment seat, we're all toast. We're all vapor. You know, we're going to just like, poof, you're gone. With mercy is the only thing that's going to save us at the judgment seat. To practice kingdom living, evaluate your schedule, emulate Jesus, and cultivate mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for these parables, Lord, these simple ways for us to understand your word and your meaning Lord, what you would have us to know. I thank you for using them to teach me. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for others that love the way they should, the way you want them to. Lord, I appreciate that, and I thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor Shot. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you give me every day, my wife every day. And I just pray that you would be with Pastor as he preaches this morning. Pray for this day going forward. I pray for his ministry here. I pray for this church and your church in whole, Lord, that it would prosper. I thank you that we live in a nation where we can worship freely, where we can gather freely. And even though those things are being tried, as Pastor pointed out this morning, that we still enjoy those freedoms largely greater than many places in this world. And Lord, I thank you for that. That's because of your blessing. Thank you for it in Jesus' name.